you'll notice your handout that you waved a moment ago. As we go through this series on prayer, real prayer, real being our acronym for 2013, which we've all memorized. And by the way, I'll have a tattoo artist here next Sunday for those of you that would like to have. I'm getting a tattoo right here. You know what it says, don't you? Hair. It's going to be our acronym for next year, hair. So anyway, I'll have a tattoo artist here next Sunday for those of you who'd like to have the, the acronym for 2013 tattooed on your uh, forehead, your, your bicep. I used to have a bicep. don't have one of those anymore, so... What does real stand for? Very good. Very eager, alert, and loving. And I really want to spend, as we've spent a couple of weeks and as we walk through this series on prayer, this has really become a, a, a burden, a passion for me as I'm, as I'm going through and I'm studying, even again in Matthew 6 and some other things, and I listen to a number of and read a number of theologians and pastors, not just current, but going all the way back to the Puritans and some others week, because... I believe as someone, and I've been doing this, working for Central North slash Christ Church 29 years. I've been a believer now for 43 years. And I know in my own life that my prayer life is the weakest part of my life as a believer in Jesus Christ and truly understanding what God is trying to accomplish. And so I wanted to begin 2013 after we understood, uh, really, we talked about being real and what the, that mindset for us as individuals and, and as a church going through this year. And I really wanted to spend some time looking at prayer because the two is the most essential things in my life, your life, and our life corporately as the body of Christ and as individual Christians is to spend time alone in the Word of God, spend time together around the Word of God, spend time alone in prayer, spend time corporately praying for each other, and, and I think so many times, and if you, if you listen to preachers, you listen to what people say and think, and, and even how they pray, there's so much misunderstanding about this essential doctrine of the church that I want us, that's why I'm spending this time as we get into 2013 thinking about this. So you notice the title of today's message, which knowing me as I do well, probably will also be next week's message, but we shall see. The title of today's message is Fellowship, Not Formula. This is, again, in an independent church, a non-denominational church. A lot of times they run the gamut from crazy snake handling and everything else to extremely liberal to conservative, somewhere in between, and hopefully that where we are is focused on the Word of God, that it is God's message to us and that we believe it, we teach it, that we have the balance of grace and truth. And sometimes people, I had a guy not long ago, a pastor actually, he said, well, you know, he was asking me where I worked, at the church was, and I was trying to explain it to him. He goes, well, y'all don't believe anything, do you? And I said, no, pretty much. Just, you know, do whatever you want to do. It's all good. And I said, everybody, if you ask them, if we went to every church in Memphis today, and there are many, as we all know, that Memphis covered up with church and Walgreens. If we went... You know, if we take every Walgreens and convert it to church, we might have. Well, I think we've, we're trying to do that anyway. If you went to every church in Memphis today, by and large, you went to their leadership, and you were to ask them, do you believe the Bible? What do you think they're going to say? By and large. Yes. I had a guy, I won't tell you who he is, who, like leading people at a seminary here in our town, and he was asking me about uh, our church. We are just discussing things. He said, what do you why do you think God blessed what you do? And I said, it's real simple. I think it's because we believe the Bible is inerrant and infallible, and we preach the Bible, and we try to everything to flow from and live from the Word of God. And I said, do you believe the Bible is inerrant? 
He goes, well, I believe it's an error and has interpreted it properly. And I said, well, that might be your problem right there. You got to understand, I don't get to decide for myself what the Bible says. Scriptures have no private interpretation. Randy doesn't get to make up what he wants it to say. I don't get to decide when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I don't get to decide that well, what he really meant by that was do the best you can, and I'm your way if you want me to be your way. But if you'd rather have another way, another way is good too. That's not what he said. That's not who he was. That's not what it meant. I don't get to decide for myself what it's saying. The same thing is so, and that's why this, this doctrine of prayer is so important. Because everybody has, a, again, depending on your, see the Lord, amen, thank you. So, Depending on, it could have been amen or it could have been ease up, Randy. <laughs> Back off. All right. Depending on your background, depending on what you've been taught, depending on, I've had people tell me, I pray and then just, it's all based on how I feel. And I said, probably not in the most spiritual and kind way. I said, could that have been gas? Listen, I don't get to decide what God wants. God decides. You and there's so much misinformation and, and false teaching out there about, and that's why I titled this message that it's about fellowship, not a formula. If you, as we walk through this, the one thing I want you to keep coming back to, we mention it every week and we will continue to do so, my life as a Christian, my prayer life is I'm going to talk to whom? Who is it I'm talking to when I pray? God, who is my what? Our Father who art in heaven. I'm going to talk to my heavenly Father. What I want you to, and, and this is what God has really been burdening me with, and I pray I can get the Holy Spirit can really communicate this to you as we walk through this message. What God wants in your prayer life, you to understand how special that relation, father, son, father, daughter, father, child. Think about how much love your children how much they mean to you, what you would do for them. And Jesus said, if, if an earthly father will give you something good, how much more do you think heavenly father? James said, God gives good and perfect gifts. I, I'd like to be the perfect father, and I'm sure if one of my children, one of them is here, would say that I'm the perfect father because I gave her 20 bucks to say that. I realize I'm not. The beauty of understanding your prayer life is that when you go to your father, he is perfect. He is fallible. He is eternal. He is imminent. He is mutable. He is right, whole, just, fair, perfect, with no flaw, just like me. No, unlike me. And as much as I want to be a good father, and I've tried to be, and probably done a decent job, and I, I'm a, a decent grandfather, when you've got the four best grandchildren in the world, it's easy to do. I've, I've been decent, I think, and, and, and pretty good. I feel inconsistent. So what I want you to begin to think about in your prayer life is that it's not about me figuring out, and again, this is so much bad thing. I want us to see what the Bible is. It's not about me figuring out the formula, how to get something from God. For example, and then we'll get into this. When your children are small, and I realize when they become adolescents that it's a little hard. They'll become teenagers, it's sometimes real difficult. And when they become adults, sometimes it's impossible. I realize that. But when they're little, and really through their whole lives, I understand. But especially when they're small, don't you always want to just give them the very best? And I don't mean by that physically or materially. You just want to make sure, like, I'll give you, a, again, a simple example. I'm stand, sitting in my little cubicle over here this week, and, and um, we had a kid fall out of a baby bed and bump his head. And this wasn't even their child, you know, the ladies that are in there working, and our director. But what was, all these ladies are suddenly what? They're rushing to that little baby, make sure that little fellow makes sure he's okay. And I went over, I said, does he have a knot on his head? He said, no. I said, oh, he'll be all right. I said, he's breathing, isn't he? They said, yeah. I said, well, he's all right. Go back to work. But they're crying and they're, why? Because inherent in them is what? That instinct to care, to love. And if that's your child, what are you thinking? 
Oh, please don't let him be hurt. Please. What, what, I'm such a horrible parent. I let him fall out of the bed. We used to throw ours out of the bed just to see if they bounce. But when you go to your eternal, omnipotent God who aided the universe, Romans says, Abba, Father. Don't you think he always wants to give you the best? Of course he does. If I want to as an earthly father, again, the principle from Scripture, exponentially more my heavenly father wants to give me best. The problem with your children is they get a little older, you're giving them what's best for them, and they're saying what? That ain't what I want. I want that. Billy got that. How come I can't have that? Even this year at Christmas, one of our grandchildren, I don't remember which one, had a magazine. I remember where the magazine was. They, she showed, brought it to Mary and said, look, Grammy. It started flipping through. It already marked it with a Sharpie. Like, whatever, where she is, five, six years old. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. But we as parents, earthly, we want to do what's best. Your heavenly father always comes through. John Hann, a great theologian, said these words. This really, uh, God moved me when I read this this week. The end of prayer is not so much tangible answers. Please listen to this quote. The end of prayer is not so much tangible answers as a deepening life of dependency, a call to love, submission, and obedience. The avenue of sweet, intimate, and intense fellowship of the soul with the infinite creator. I know that's a lot. Here's what I want you to begin to take away. I pray because I want it closer to my My father and I, my, my, my earth father, did not have a good relationship. I really wanted one, but I didn't have one. And I was determined with my kids, they would always, nothing else, they would know how much I wanted to be their father. That God had given them. I wanted them to know how much they were loved. Even though they might not get what they wanted, but they were loved. God wants you to come to him because he wants you how special to know your dad. Look at Matthew 6. Let's start. It's all about fellowship. What is God doing in your life? Matthew 6, 6. I just want to, we're going to hit a couple of things here and then move on as we did this last week. 6, 6. Jesus said, when you pray, but you, in contrast, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, or secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, says it twice. Your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Just two very important points about this, and then we'll move on. What I want you to notice is first thing we're looking at is the beauty of your reward. Again, in your reward, your reward in your prayer life, a real prayer life, is prayer itself. Please hear this. It's not going to God and praying, God heal me and God heals you. Can, can God heal you? The answer is yes. But if he chooses not to, what does that mean? It means what's best for you is what? That he not do it. Can he miraculous heal? Heal, absolutely. But he does not make mistakes. So if he chooses not to, then that means that's what's best for me at this moment. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was probably a pretty cool day, right? What happened to Lazarus sometime in the future? Is he still around? I don't think so. I saw a guy the other day working down here. No, he ain't around. He passed away again. That was the best day of his life, according to the Bible. He went to eternity forever, to paradise. The beauty of your reward is the secret place. Please catch that. Hank Hanegraaff, his incredible book, said it this way. The secret to prayer is secret prayer. Remember, Jesus is contrasting for them here. And what he's saying to them is, do not be like the ultra-religious. Says it twice. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the hypocrites. You don't pray for the adulation of men. You get alone with your dad. That's the secret place. Examine yourself 
in intimate moments, your dad, with the goal in mind, I want to grow. Fellowship, the word in the New Testament means to share in common. So what God wants out of your prayer life and what you should want is to begin to understand what is it I share with God as a child of God. Romans puts it this way. You are a joint heir to Jesus Christ. You will reign with him one day. You will inherit it all as a child of God. You want to meditate on something? Think about that. Randy Lockley, filthy sinner who wanted nothing to do with God. God has decided that I am worthy enough to be saved, to be his child, to spend eternity with him, and to rule with his son, Jesus Christ. He saved me. As unworthy as I am, he chose to redeem me. Spend time alone in the secret place. Be different. The Jews prayed at 9, they prayed at noon, they prayed at 3, they prayed to Shema, they prayed 18 different prayers. No matter what your circumstances were at 9 o'clock and at noon and at 3, you stopped and you prayed. God says, I just want you to get alone. Intentionally spend time with me spontaneously spend time with me? If you love somebody, don't you want to spend time with them? God says, spend time with them. Notice verse 8, another incredible phrase here, this idea of the beauty of your reward. Look at verse 8 again. Your father knows the things you have need of. What's the next word? Before. Before you ask him. Please, if you, again, if, I hate to say this every week, but it's important. If you miss everything else I say, get this. You are not going to God in prayer to negotiate, to sell, to inform. He already knows. Why are you going to him? You're going to him to get closer to him and to find out how, Lord, in the midst of what I'm praying about, how, Lord, can I hallow your name? Our Father, which are in heaven, art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We'll get to that in a moment. That is the essence of all prayer for believers. Jesus was teaching believers how to pray. I'm going to God to say, Lord, in this, how can I, how can we be used, further your kingdom, further your name, further your will, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I am never going to God to negotiate, to buy, to get him to do something that I want him to do, unless he wants to do it. I'm going to him to grow in intimacy. So the two things that I want you to notice from this, prayer itself, the reward, two, two things. It's spending time with your Father, you see it there on the screen, and the second thing is the nature of your Father. The nature of your father. Look there on your handout, Isaiah 66. We read these verse, this verse last week, but I want to show you one thing in it. All those things my hand has made. God owns the universe. All those things exist, says the Lord. He made it all. And notice the last part. On this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. You see that? You need to understand. I want to spend time with my father, and he will reward me. He knows what I had need of before I ask. He will take care of me. He will reward me based on his nature. We talked about this in the intro today. Who is your father? What's his nature? He's holy. He's perfect. He's just. He does not make mistakes. He knows what I need before I ever come to him. So why am I coming to him? The great question. If God knows everything before I ask, why am I asking? For me to grow in intimacy and then see what he does as he answers in the way that he knows is best for me, for me to go to God and claim something that he has to do, and I, I'm telling him what to do. And number one, it's not biblical. Number two, it's not even logical. And number three, it's stupid. I might make a mistake, correct? Have you ever made one? 
give you a simple example, and I hope you really get this. It's powerful. It was to me. If you study the life of Jesus Christ, the two times that he was tempted, struggled the most in his life on earth, so he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. You remember that? He, who's with him when he was out there? Who was with him? He was alone, right? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, just prior to going to the cross, he took those guys with him and he asked them to stay awake, and they all did what? They all fell asleep. Jesus is praying, sweating blood, and his prayer was, if it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. The two strongest temptations was when he was alone in prayer. Do you see that? Because here's the point. This is where that bad theology comes from. The greatest temptation I might have in my prayer life as a sinner is to go to God and ask what I will. Being selfish, even in prayer. Jesus was tempted. Don't you think you might be? I might be. It's that I'm going to him saying, what did Jesus say right after praying that? But not my will, not my will, but yours. Time with your father. Time, time. Based on his nature, you know he won't make a mistake. Secondly, your goal in your prayer is to build your relationship. This is it. This is what you want to accomplish. Build your relationship. Look at verse 9. In this manner, Jesus said, therefore pray. Here's, what, here's how you should pray. Not the words specifically, although you can do that, but this pattern. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That is prayer. Notice how he starts out. Jesus said, here's the way you need to pray. And he begins with two words. What are they? Our what? Back to that again. But notice, it's a plural pronoun. It's that you and I and the disciples and every believer that's ever walked planet Earth, we are all part of the great family of God, now called the church. God is my father. He's your father. He's our father. So we go to him individually. We go to him corporately. But understanding, notice again. Jesus teaching this pattern of prayer to his children, his followers, those who believe in him. Christians pray this way. Non-believers pray, Lord, save me. I want to know this intimacy. I want to know you. I want to have a father like that. So he says, our father. Jesus said one time the following words, talking to those same Jews. Quote, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. That's pretty powerful words, isn't it? And these were the religious elite. They were the, the religious leaders of all the Jews. Jesus looked at them and said, if God were your father as you claim, you would love me. Well, the other side of that coin is, since you don't love me, God is not what? Not your father. This is so important for us to understand. We want to be real because even in churches all over our city today, people are saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, just have faith. Be part of a community of faith. Just have faith. What would Jesus Christ say to that? If you do not love me, you do not know God. It's not arrogant. It's truth. Truth do. Set free. If you do not love me, you do not love God. You do not know God. God is not your father. He is your creator. He is the one who loves you and sent me to die for you. I came from God. But if you do not love me, you do not know God. And by the way, if there is a God, we wouldn't be here probably if we didn't believe that there was. If there is a God, don't you think he would be kind enough to have one way to know him and not a million different ways? If, anybody, if everybody could just choose for themselves what the way, why did Jesus have to go through what he went through? Plus, the leaders of all these others are sinners. Jesus was perfect. That's why he's God. He was perfect because he is God. All right, hallowed be your name. And notice the next phrase, our Father. What's the next two words? What? Our Father in West Memphis, is that what it says? I doubt if God's ever been to West Memphis. Maybe. I know he hadn't driven down I-40 or he to fix that. Anyway, 
Our Father where? Do you realize how significant that little, just that phrase is? What that means is he is infinitely higher than we are. He is sovereign. He is superior. He can handle earth. He made it. It's his footstool we just saw. He is our heavenly father. Superior, infinitely higher than anything on earth. That's who you're talking to. That's who you're talking to. You know, Jews, once Jesus was talking to and in that culture, they were not even allowed to say the name of God out loud. Yet Jesus is teaching his followers what? That's your daddy. Talk to him. Be excited. He's your father. It's an intimate, personal relationship, not a religious legalism beatdown. It's intimate. It's family. It's relational. You think a lot of people go to church today that don't even know, that don't even understand, is doing what they do? God wants you to understand the intimacy, the family. We're going to look at a couple of things that we're going to stop today. Hallowed be your name. I want to focus on this before we finish because we just pray it and we move on. I want to make sure you see this. The Greek phrase there, hallowed be your name, means cause it to happen. Cause it to be treated as holy, sanctified. This is, the, as I said earlier, the focus of all prayer, that I want to be part, Lord, of what you're doing to hallow your name. The kind of the phrase has become fashionable in contemporary church, and a lot of preachers use it, and uh, one Grant Nixon likes to use it all the time. He's young, he'll get it. Done. Is, Lord, make your name famous. Make your name famous. What, he's, what Jesus is saying is, you get the high privilege of being part of what God is doing, and your prayer needs to be, Lord, I really want to be in on that. Thank you, Lord. Cause your name to be hallowed through Randy. Lord, cause your name to be hallowed through me. Lord, cause your name to be hallowed through us, Christ Church. Us, the body of Christ. Lord, cause your name to be holy, separate, sanctified. Father, do the great work of hallowing your name through us. And for that to work, we've got to get our priorities aligned. The great name of God. Think for a moment through the Bible of what some of the things of God's name. His name is I Am, Most High, Alpha and Omega, Self-Existent, Omnipotent, Jealous, Omniscient, Merciful, Gracious, Fair, Righteous, Loving, Omnipotent, Immutable, Holy, Sovereign, Most High. And that's just a sampling. King of kings, Lord of lords, beginning and the end. That God who is king of the universe, your dad. Remember when you were a kid, you liked to brag, my dad, whip your dad, my dad, is so-and-so. Your dad is all of those things. King of the universe. So here's how it works. God says, you begin your prayer. The priority of all your prayer is, Lord, hallow your name. Cause it to be hallowed through me. And it begins with a simple phrase, simple understanding. That's why you're going to him. It begins with the fact you trust him. The theme of the Bible is the righteous trust God. It begins with humble faith. Faith. Notice Romans 10, 17 there on your handout and on the screen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It begins by trusting God. Because when you trust him, you'll listen to him. When you listen to him, if you trust him, you'll obey him. You'll serve him. What happens is you'll listen to him, you'll obey him, and you'll serve him instead of whom? Men or self. And that's what God wants. The more time you spend with him in prayer, honest. We'll talk more about this next week. Honest prayer. Real prayer. It begins to change you. You, become, you begin to become a better witness for Christ, more effective. You begin to understand fellowship. Prayer is not me getting what I want. Prayer is me deepening my relationship with my dad and trusting that he's not going to make any mistakes. He'll always give me what I want, what's best for me. He'll always give me what's best, for me, not what I want. We're going to stop there today because I'm long-winded. I really didn't know when I got into this how God was going to do it. I, I cannot. We're scratching the surface of what he convicted me about this week, last two weeks. I'm going to continue to share that with you next week, the Lord willing. I just really want to encourage you how special your prayer life is. Would you bow your heads, please?
Father, we just pause before you again as our God, as our Father. We thank you, Father, that we could call you that. Just, it's not just a word we throw out there that's religious. We have an intimate, personal, family relationship with the guy who created this universe, walked in the Garden of Eden, parted the Red Sea, spoke the stars into existence. That's my dad. That's our dad. Lord, I pray you'd use us, that we would begin to grow in a deep prayer life that focuses on hallowing your name, and then individually and corporately, you'd use us to impact our community with Jesus Christ, because he alone can save. Lord, as we close out today, I pray each of us would think about, meditate on our prayer life, talk to you. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a Christian, that they simply would say, I want to know, I want to have a dad like that. I want to be saved. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive me, save me right now. And he will do that. We pray in Jesus' name.